You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. So grateful to share with you, and uh, there's a, some of you this morning are new to River, and I didn't have a chance to meet you, so I just want to kind of, from the uh, platform, just to give you a big welcome and a shout out. We're so glad that you're here this morning, and as a part of our church, we've been walking through the Gospel of John, and just over the, really over the course of the year, and we're kind of getting to the tail end of it, and in the last couple of weeks, we were at the point Jesus is is preparing his closest friends, his followers, that he is about to die, and they're about to walk through the whole just process of thinking that he was the one and we're going to bring deliverance and salvation and then crushed as they watched him nailed and hung to the cross and hanging there. But Jesus, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, said, look, I'm going to leave, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you another helper, the Holy Spirit, and he's going to He's going to be with you and He will be in you and He will make God the Father and me real in your life that we are dwelling with you. And we saw last week that we are to live our life, to abide in Jesus. That should be our the focus and the simplicity just every day and to, that we make our life with Him and not kind of living estranged, if you will, from God, even as followers of Him. Well, this morning He shifts gears a little bit. He goes from not so much telling us about our closeness and relationship to Him, but what He's preparing us is saying, guys, I'm about to be crucified. I'm about to be executed because not everybody out there likes me. (laughs) There are people that want me dead, and it's going to happen. I'm yielding my life. They're not taking it from me. But by the way, because you have been following me, they're not going to like you either. And so you are, because you're a follower of me, you are living in a hostile world. You're living in a world that's antagonistic to me. And so we're going to see this morning like why that is and how we as followers of Jesus are supposed to live that out and how we're to handle that. How many of you like, anybody here like salt and vinegar chips? Don't play the health card on me like I don't ever eat chips, Sean, because I eat too healthy. Like if you have chips, you like salt and vinegar, I'm all about vinegar. I don't know why. I like mustard over ketchup. I love salt and vinegar. I like even the vinegar on the fries, you know, that kind of thing. So so sometimes I'll have like a vinegar and oil, like if I'm having, you know, bread or whatever, I'll be the guy that dip in it. Have you ever noticed vinegar and oil, they don't ever go together, you know, like oil and water, it never mixes. But those two things, my kids are in their little truth be known, I do it too. You can make like little smiley faces in your little vinegar. You can do like little fun things if you play with it, you know. You're not supposed to play with your food, I know, but anyway. They don't mix. That's a picture of who followers of Jesus Christ are in this world. We live in this world. We may be in the same bowl. We may live in the same community. We may work in the same workplace. We may be in the same social media. We may be in all of the things that we do together, but we just don't mix quite in. We don't quite fit in together. And Jesus is telling us about that reality this morning and how we should handle that. So look with me if you would. In John chapter 15, look at verse 18. The Bible says this. Jesus says, If the world hates you, know this, it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, in other words, your source is not of this world, your source is of me. You're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. I chose you out of that, and therefore, the world hates you. They don't like you. They don't think highly of you. 
Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Keep in mind, they've seen some persecution of Jesus, but they haven't seen anything yet. They haven't seen Him nailed to the cross. They haven't seen Him beaten and flogged and whipped and hanging there and laid in a tomb. Their world is about to be rocked. Yeah, they've seen people question Him and debate Him and jeers and that kind of thing, but they haven't seen what they're about to. And Jesus is preparing them, saying, yeah, I'm about to go through some tough times, but so are you. And don't don't be surprised by this. He says, but all these, in verse 21, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name. It's not because of you, it's because of me. Because they do not know him who sent me. They're ignorant of me, and they say they know God, but they really don't. They don't know him. If I had not come and spoken to them, in verse 22, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father also. You can't pursue and love God and ignore and hate Jesus. Like, it just doesn't work. There's one God and one Savior, one Jesus Christ, and the only way to God the Father is through Him. Jesus says in verse 24, If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Jesus never sinned, never did anything wrong, and the the world hated Him without a reason. I want to talk this morning about the world hating us, what that looks like. Those are pretty strong words, and I want to talk about what that is and why that is, and how should we handle it? Should we put up bunkers around our house and become professional preppers, you know, and just kind of isolate and hide ourselves? Uh, how, do we, how do we handle that? Do we become cynical and jaded? Do we, you know, become protesters and marching for rights? Like, what should we do? So the first thing I want you to recognize is that Jesus says, yeah, the world doesn't like me. I don't pretend to act like, you know, that I'm a popular guy. Even though thousands of people follow Jesus, he turned around and told him and said, yeah, you just want the free food. You like the meal. You like the perks. But you really don't care about me. You really don't want me, and you hate me. The Bible uses the word world three different ways. So when you read it, sometimes it refers to the created world, the world that that includes the universe and everything that God made in that world. And, and that's what Paul the Apostle in Acts chapter 17, he is speaking there in, in Athens at the Areopagus, and he's explaining who the God of the universe is to people who had all kinds of different ideas about God. And, and, the Bible des- and, and Paul describes him in the Bible, he says this, he says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. The God who made the world, everything that's in this world, if you create the world, that makes you the owner of the world. That means you know how it works. That means you know how it functions. That means you've taken responsibility to everything in the world. And Paul describes Him as the the God of this universe, the great I Am that we sing about. Well, that's not the world that Jesus is talking about here. 
The Bible also uses the word world, like in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That word world is referring to the people generally in the world, not the sum total of the stars and the moon and the trees and the fish and the water. That means the people, that God so loved the people in this world that He gave, He willingly sacrificed His only Son, Jesus Christ, that whoever in this physical world, whoever believes in Him, would not perish, would not die separated from God, but would forever have eternal life. That world just refers to people generally. That there's no class of people, there's no ethnicity, there's no nationality, there's no nothing, like, there's nothing that separates any person, any group of people, or anyone in this world that would say, well, God didn't love me, and I can't possibly believe in Jesus and be saved. That Jesus loves this world. God loved this world and He gave His life so we could be forgiven of our sins and have an eternity with Him and have life with Him. And then the third way the word world is used is this way. It's what Jesus is talking about. The world is of people who are directly against God. Like the the world that has its mind and heart set against God. If you remember way back, weeks and weeks ago when we started John, the, the chapter 1, the Bible says that Jesus is light. And the light came into this darkness. The darkness of the world. And this world did not understand it. It did not snuff it out. The darkness is talking about the spiritual and moral darkness of people's hearts. It describes the that part of the world, the, the seedy side of the world that lurks in every soul. It's what John later talks about when the Bible says that, uh, that men love the darkness because their deeds are evil. Because in our heart lurks you know, lust and greed and jealousies and angers and all of those things that we want and desire. And we prefer those things. We want to keep them hidden. We don't want to we want to protect our image. We want to hide those things. And we prefer to stay in the shadows rather than have the light shined on what we've done and who we really are. And we stay hidden. That's all a picture of the, the world around us. It's the world that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 3 when there, and the Bible says there is none righteous, none, no, not one, no person who's born into this world, who is a just innate good person in and of themselves. Oh, we have good qualities. None of us are as evil as we could possibly be. But all of us are tainted by that sin in our heart. The things inside of us that we end up doing, that later on we're like, why did I do that? And we feel guilty over and we feel bad about because we know we shouldn't have and we wish we wouldn't have. But we have done it anyway because of that, that junk that's deep into our soul. That's the world that Jesus is talking about. The world that's, the, that's every segment of our culture and our society is permeated with that world, whether it's politics, both sides, Republican and Democrat, or Independent, or whatever other party that's out there. All of it. Dead set against God. In and of itself is, is corrupt, is sinful, whether we're talking entertainment, whether we're talking in the education field, many of you work in that world, whether we're talking in the retail world or the business or in government or the arts, what every facet and segment of the society and the culture in which we live, Jesus says that world, 
all of social media that is dead set against me, even the religious world, because as Jesus is talking late, we'll see in a minute, that even in the religious world, many segments of it is against God, no matter what they say. And so Jesus is telling us that we should not be surprised about this. And that those people that hated Jesus, that part of the world that prefers their own sinfulness, their own desires over the goodness and righteousness of God, they don't like Jesus, and they ultimately don't like us. In fact, it kind of builds through it. Jesus started talking about it's like, yeah, they, they're going to hate you. That's what he says in verse 18. If they hate you, just know they hated me. But as he goes along later on, he says, you know, they're going to persecute you. It's not going to be just that they hate you. You're going to get persecuted. And I didn't read it yet. We will in a bit. But later on, he says, yeah, there's going to come a time where people are thinking they're going to do me a favor, do God a favor, and they're going to kill you. They're going to put you to death simply because you're a follower of me. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like any of that. <laughs> I like to be liked. I like to live in a happy world where people get along. I like to be in a world where neighbors like each other. You know, we spent a couple of days camping this week I, with people I don't know. I like to live next, you know, I like to live for those couple of days next door to people that I get along with and they get along with me and I like to go to the store. I don't like this thought that there's Lots of people and segments of society that are just not going to like me, that are going to hate me because of my relationship with Jesus. We'll talk in a minute about how to deal with that. Does it make you, do you allow it to become cynical? Do you allow it to become judgmental, to change your heart? But that's the reality. The world, every one of us as individuals are born into this world, our default setting on the, you know, the computer settings, if you will, is against God and is for ourselves. That's what we're all born into. And until God does something, until what Jesus said, says, I chose you to pull you out of that world. Until He saves our soul and changes our life, that's what we're so much about here is, is River of Life, our world is against Him across the board. So why is that a reality? I want you to notice a few things in this passage. I try to be a likable person. I try to smile. As, you know, like everybody else, I can have a hard day, and my, sometimes my patience is running a little short, but I try to step back and give the other person a break, and I try to smile a lot and all of that. So why is this a reality? Well, look what the Bible says in verse 19. Jesus says, pragmatically says, look, if you were of the world, in other words, if you were... If you are in, in their world, forgive me for using the same word again, if you are part of that system, if that was your nature and you were part of that tribe and that family, they would love you as their own. But you're not. You're not of this world. You're not of that world system because I pulled you out of it. And therefore, the world hates you. The first word that comes to mind with this verse is the idea of conformity. There is something in all of us as humans that we struggle to like that which is different from us. We struggle to accept. We struggle to, to appreciate and to value. 
it's really, it's at the heart of what all of the isms are, whether it's racism or classism or ageism, all of it is we just struggle to, to accept that which is different from us. And there's such a pressure, and we recognize that. You go back to your own childhood and think through the years, through school and middle school, middle school and even in the high school, that you know, if you didn't wear the right clothes, the pressure you felt, or if you didn't do this a certain way, what you felt, you know, what that felt like, and just all of that, conformity. And because we have sworn allegiance to the Lord Jesus, we have left this world when we surrender our life to Jesus as Lord of our life, and we've we live with a whole different set of values and a different lifestyle and a different priority. We don't conform to what this world lives. We value things differently. We have a completely different set of values. In the news lately, as you've seen in the, I don't know, what has it been a month since the Roe v. Wade and all of the the Supreme Court decisions and all of the craziness, the leaking of the, the documents and then protesters outside, you know, Supreme Court justices' homes and just all of the things that have gone with all of that. You as, we as River know we are not a political church, right? We've said that many times. By that, we're not going to be a church that we don't believe politics is our solution. Our Lord Jesus is our solution, and we're not going to stand for this or that. So I touch this topic of abortion not from a political side of things, but from a Bible, life, morality side of things. Make no mistake, the issue is more about life and morals than it is about politics. Let me read you some statistics. I don't know if you are familiar with these, if you've seen these or not. And there's so much that's being publicized. It's just, just, a, mis, uh, uh, just a complete misfocus of reality. Let me read you some statistics. These comes from the Guttmacher Institute which is a, a very pro-abortion institute. This is not, you know, people that are against abortion. These are, these are very people that are very pro-abortion and all of, the, all of that that stands for it. These are their own numbers. 25% of the people of, who have an abortion, they do so because they're not ready for another child or in their mind the timing is wrong. 23% is because they can't afford a baby now. 19% say, well, I've completed my childbearing years. Like, I've kind of moved on. I have, my children are growing up. I've got other people depending on me. 8%, I don't want to be a single mother. 7%, I don't feel mature enough to raise a child. I'm too young. 4%, it would interfere with my education or my career. I'm just not ready. 4% says, people say, it was because I have a physical problem with my health. 3% said possible problems affecting the health of the fetus. Going on down, half a percent was because of someone who was a victim of rape. Um, yeah, that's, that's all. When you add the numbers, 97% of the people that have an abortion have nothing to do with health issues. 97% to do with health issues or or rape, or any of that sort of thing. In other words, it's a, it's a um, birth control option for people. 
That's 97%, unlike everything that you're hearing. Well, Sean, are you getting political? No, I'm trying to help us understand the morality of these things. These are really just choices of a person's life. You see, as followers of Jesus, we recognize that there's a God in heaven who made this world and everything that's in it. And that includes every human being in the middle of that, that God is for life. And we recognize that science has finally caught up with it. You know, back in the 70s when, when abortion first became really big and politicized and all of that, in the 60s even before that, we didn't have ultrasounds and all the knowledge that we have today. And very, if you listen to the, the, the debates and what people you know, base their position on, it's no longer about the science, it's about the, the health side of it, if you will. Because everybody recognizes that there's life inside that woman's womb that, that, that's created and precious, that those, that, that initial just reaction, as I shared last week with the egg and the sperm, when it hits, that there's all the DNA and all that will ever be needed for that to be life, and the heartbeat that begins, and the, all of the amazing things long before uh, that baby comes to term. And in fact, to be honest with you, think about it this way. After a baby is born, mom is responsible to take care of that baby. It's her hands that feed it and change it, that nurse it, that care for it, that hug it, that hug that child. It's as much her body after the baby's born as it is before. The argument of, you know, my body, my choice, and all that is really a hollow kind of argument, folks. So as followers of Jesus, people won't like us because of the values of being a follower of Jesus means that we value life. Now, I recognize for some of you this morning, you've had an abortion. Ladies, there's some of you that have walked that journey, and that's painful. And my hunch is you've probably not processed that well and experienced God's grace in your life as a follower of His. That he forgives you in the middle of that. And some of you men, perhaps you've pressured, whether it's your wife or a previous girlfriend. We as followers of Jesus, we look at that world as we want to value life. But we recognize that we serve a God that when we ask forgiveness for our sins, that Jesus died for all of the wrongs that we've done, everything in our past. And it is clean and it is done and over with. And so the world looks at us and they don't care whether we worship Jesus or not, but they don't like the values that we stand for. They don't like the things along the way that we believe in. Another hot button. I'm going to hit a few of these today. We don't often do this. If you're new at River, I probably I don't think I've ever talked so much about abortion in the last 10 years, but it's out there, and you've got to... This is reality why people don't are increasingly looking at Christians as we're foreign and all of those strange things, but we also recognize gender as a gift of God. We recognize it not as a just a choice of how a person feels one way to the next, one day to the next, but that God made us male and female when we read the book of Genesis. And there's a gift that God gave us as we're made in His image with those, those two genders. And there's not a, a fluidity in all of those things. Those are a wonderful gift. Our statement as a church, I won't, won't read it, we won't take time to do it, but... We value life from conception 
to the grave. It matters not what stage of life somebody is in. It matters not what abilities they have, what functions they have. There are some countries that that's not reality. They're, the rate of children born with Down syndrome or disabilities are so low it's almost non-existent. Wow, that's amazing that they're such a healthy country. No, it has nothing to do with health. It's amazing that they've tested the babies so much and they've aborted them before they're ever born because they don't value life regardless of a person's abilities and what their knowledge level is. As followers of Jesus, we value all of that. As, not, as people of Jesus, we recognize that we are made special in the image of God, that we're the crowning part of His creation, where there's a dignity of life where He made it. And we as followers of Jesus, we, our hearts should ache when people are struggling with their gender identity and all of those things. We should help people navigate those things and understand and be learn to be comfortable with where they are. It's okay if you don't feel like you fit into a girly girl thing. It doesn't make you a boy. And it's okay if you're a boy that feels a little more sensitive or whatever. It's okay. It doesn't mean you're somebody else that you're not. That God made you special and unique. And we should value those kinds of things. We don't conform to where the world's going. We live in a culture, ladies and gentlemen, where increasingly we don't fit in. It's just reality. Decades ago, it was no big deal because nobody thought about these things. It increasingly is an issue. So because of our values, we don't conform. Because of our lifestyles, we don't conform. I mean, you can even, we could talk about so many things about, you know, even modesty today that, you know, we think that our life, lifestyle is a modesty, or modesty is a lifestyle issue. We, followers of Jesus tend to think like, yeah, we ought not let it all hang out. <laughs> Like there ought to be a level of decency somewhere, and it's not wrong. It doesn't make you body shaming somebody. It doesn't make you misogynist. It doesn't make you any of this stuff. We recognize that God gave us the bodies that He gave us, and that He created a, a man and a woman, and there should be a physical relationship between those two in marriage and not shared to the world. And not, it's sacred pornography and all that's out there, like those are lifestyle choices. By the way, someone's gender or sex is not a lifestyle choice. It is a value. It is a reality of life. It's not whether or not you choose an a Android over an iPhone, you know, or if you're a Coke versus a Pepsi, or if you're a Ford versus Toyota or Subaru. Those are lifestyle choices. You know, if you're a Harley guy or a BMW guy, you know, those are lifestyle choices. If you're a go to the mountains or the ocean, you know, or the city or family, or how you do it. Those are lifestyles. Gender, that's a value. That's something far more important. But we recognize in our lifestyles that we're just going to live differently. We're going to approach everything in life differently, even the way we parent and the way our relationships play out. And it makes us different. We're oil and vinegar living in that world. And the heart of that is because we have a priority that we have surrendered our allegiance to the God of heaven. And we value what He values. And He teaches us to love Him and to love what He loves. And because of it, all of these things are very different. I say that to say this. We should be careful to not to try to follow, to fit into the world around us. We shouldn't be weird. I've said that many times. There are enough weird Christians in this world, folks. Please don't be one of them. Don't, you don't need to be obnoxious, weird, strange Christians. There's enough weird ones out there. 
but we aren't going to fully fit in. We're not going to make everybody happy, and we're, it's just not going to work. I don't, I don't have time to talk about all the other differences. Why? Let me hit them just really quickly. It'll take too long. We just don't have the time this morning, but the, we don't fit in because we follow Jesus. They, Jesus said, look, remember the source. They don't like you because they don't like me. It's not because of you. I got teased a lot when I was a kid. I had red hair. I stood out. I think my graduating class of 300 people, I was the only red-headed guy, and I think there was one other red-headed girl. And just, you tend to get, when you stick out, you tend to get picked on. Nobody likes that. It's not fun. But Jesus says, this ain't you. This is not you. This is because of me. So deal with it. Accept it. See the reality of it. Don't get so bothered by it. Get some tough skin. Toughen up a little bit. This is about me. This is not about you. And recognize that people are being convicted of their sin. That's what Jesus talks about in verse 24. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they've seen, and they hated both me and my Father. People don't like Jesus because Jesus shows up their sin. That's why they didn't like Him. Even Peter struggled. When Jesus did the miracle catch... Peter looked at Jesus and he didn't say, oh my goodness, look at all that fish, I'm going to be a wealthy man. He looked at Jesus and thought, who in the world are you? You are a holy man. He said, get away from me, I am a wicked, sinful man. You get around Jesus, you feel your sin, you feel conviction. Make it in simple terms, you feel bad. You don't feel good about yourself initially, you feel bad. Our culture and our world is hell-bent on trying to make ourselves feel good but as followers of Jesus, we recognize there's a moment where we got to feel bad. That God wants us to feel the weight and the conviction of the wrong we've done. He wants to do it, not, He wants us to feel that, not so because He likes getting a kick out of us feeling bad, but so that we take a responsibility and we go to Him for grace and salvation in His Son because He wants to forgive us. He wants a reconciliation. You can never be reconciled with somebody that doesn't own up to what they've done wrong. Right? You know that in human relationships. When they really, when that other person really doesn't admit to what they've done wrong and see what, how egregious it is, you can forgive them, but there's not true reconciliation. There can't be true reconciliation with God until we own up to that. And when we own up to it, in order to get there, we've got to feel bad. And so congratulations. We learned the last couple weeks that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and we're going to see that His job is to convict people of sin and righteousness and judgment. So when you have the Holy Spirit inside of you and are living this different lifestyle and this different values, your presence in other people's lives make them feel bad at times. It's reality. It's not your fault. It's actually their fault, but they're not going to like you for it. It's going to be like... There's going to be... You remember when you were a kid, and, or maybe it was in college, maybe it was in school, and your professor you know, gave the test, and everybody except one or two like failed. And the one or two came out with like 100 or just a ridiculously good grade, and everybody's jealous of that one or two, because that one or two kind of proved that the professor's test wasn't flawed. You know, like it could, you could do well if you, you know. Nobody liked that one or two people that just... Broke the curve. There's kind of that, you know, like, oh, that's the way the world looks at times with you and me. Not everybody. This is not everybody in the world. But there are parts of the world everywhere you go. There will be people that you're thinking, why is that guy not like me? What in the world did I do to him? Nothing. 
Kind of like brothers and sisters, you know, fighting in the back of the car. She's breathing and making me mad, you know, like, like what? I gotta breathe. Like, I don't like the noise you make. You're so funny how we just as adults carry on all of that junk into adulthood. And there'll be some people don't like you. And deep down, it's probably because they're seeing Jesus in you and you don't even realize it. So deal with it. So how do we handle it? That's what I want to go to quickly and I'll be done. So Jesus gives us some things here. You know, should we, should we become really dark? I get around sometimes Christians, and boy, it's like every conversation is, oh, this world's so terrible, and oh, this government, and oh, this country is awful. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, I don't like what's going on, but can we have a little hope that God's bigger than this world? You know, I like to think the God of heaven's a little bit bigger than whoever is president of the United States. I'd like to think he's a little bit bigger than whoever the Supreme Court judges are. I'd like to think he's a little bit bigger than whoever might be governor and who's going to do this and that. Like, can we please get a little perspective? So, no, as followers of Jesus, we shouldn't walk around cynical and we shouldn't walk around hardened and just, you know, just so just gripped in that. Should we see reality? Is it okay to be burdened and to be concerned? Absolutely. But we don't need to walk around, you know, just at every little turn. Neither do we need, should we be just so isolated and kind of put the walls up and kind of hunker down and close in. You know, we don't need to go out and buy out all the stuff for, from Walmart, all the shelf-stable things like there's just going to be a war. It's a war coming, you know. We don't need to be that person either. I think we might, the lady at the checkout at Walmart thought we were that way yesterday because we're preparing for that two-week hiking trip. And we, you know, when you live two weeks in the mountains and you don't have refrigeration, you got to buy a lot of stuff. It's just like protein bars and whatever, you know. And, and so we just shopping cart load of like oatmeal and granola bars and, you know, all of this stuff. They probably thought we were like hoarding and prepping. It was just, you know, strange. We don't need to go out and do those kinds of things. We don't need to become militant. We don't need to become those people. We need to have the attitude that what we saw in Jesus as he lived his life. So let me give you a couple specific tangible things here. Look what, look what Jesus said. He said, remember the source. I already said this, but let me hit it again. He says in verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. It's coming. Recognize, it's not you. It's Jesus. He's changed your life. Your values have shifted. Your lifestyle has shifted. You don't let the crowd and what's online or the world or the media or the news or any of that, the expectations that shape your thinking. You let the God of heaven shape your thinking. And so, recognize the source. Recognize it's Him. Don't have shame. Don't try to hide it. Mom and Dad, these are areas, honestly, where those of you with children, as the world around us more and more goes in a different direction from God, you're really going to have to help your kids not just understand truth and believe it, but to know how to walk in that world, to not be afraid and not to be ashamed, not to be obnoxious, but to know where you are and to stand up in that world and to expect it. It's like, they didn't like Jesus, you know. Newsflash, he died on a cross. He was executed, crucified for who he was. 
And if you follow him, people aren't going to like you either. So recognize the source. Second thing is don't argue. You're not going to win. There was a time when I was younger and more prideful. And all of us are more prideful than we need to be, me included right now. But I was even more prideful. You're going to think, well, I can win this argument. I can prove it. You, you can't. You, you, Jesus couldn't. Jesus won, but the people still walked away thinking they were right. Every time. You're not going to be able to convince through an argument. You can't. Whatever you present is probably right, but they're never going to buy it. People walked away convinced that they knew the Bible better than Jesus did, <laughs> even though they were looking at the God of the Bible in the face. So don't argue. That doesn't mean that you just roll over and play dead and don't say anything. Jesus spoke up. He addressed it appropriately, but He left it alone. He didn't let things just go off the chain and back and forth and back and forth. So don't argue. Speak up, kind of like I did now. Like We ought to be okay saying, like, yeah, I don't quite see abortion the same way. But you don't have to be ugly and debate it and go crazy about all of it. And you don't have to make that the topic that you discuss all the time. Just don't argue. Jesus didn't because you're not going to change your mind anyway. Ultimately, the God of heaven has to do something inside that soul. So you speak truth, and you let God work in the middle of that. Third thing, remember that you have a helper. Jesus tells us this right in the heels of it. You know, initially we think, oh, cool, I get a, I get a, a wingman, I get a, a co-pilot, you know, a helper, Jesus said. I'm going to send you somebody who's going to help you in this life. What he tells us here, the Holy Spirit is far more than any of that. The Holy Spirit... Is going to be somebody who's going to help you navigate these turbulent times. He says in verse 26, When the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, He's the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He naturally, organically, shall we say, comes from the Father. He will bear witness about me. Jesus says, guys, yeah, it's going to be tough, but don't forget, the Holy Spirit is there to help you. He's there to guide you. He's there to strengthen you. He's there to help you. He's the Spirit of truth. Sometimes it gets difficult to know where the issues lie. I'll, I'll admit, the, the culture shapes conversations in ways that I never even dreamed about. Asking questions, I'm like, I didn't even know that was a thing. And I just, you know, and the Holy Spirit's truth helps cut through the lies. Because the world around us really has believed lies. On one hand, we ought to feel sorry for them. On one hand, our heart ought to break for them. But on the other hand, we ought to hold clear about where we are in those things. And the Holy Spirit, who lives inside of us, will help us to know how to have the conversations we need to have at work, to how to, when we need to do something differently. Maybe things will be so hostile in a situation where you just really do need a new job. I think people tend to hop out of jobs sooner than they should, but it doesn't mean that you have to continue on always. But He's the one that's going to guide us and help us navigate. So rely on the Holy Spirit as you walk through these, these hard conversations. Fourth thing, bear witness about Jesus. Look at what verse 27 says. You will also bear, will bear witness. The Holy Spirit's going to bear witness about me. He lives inside of us, and He's bear witnessing about me to you and to, through you to the world. That's what he's saying. You will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. You see, folks, 
It's a mistake for us to cower and either allow shame or fear to kick in as the roar of the crowd and these different values and different beliefs, and as everybody calls, you know, refer to us, whether it's a dinosaur or just whatever name calling and all of that goes on, which is meant to intimidate and to make us afraid, we are to still keep a smile on our face, a firmness in our soul, because we serve a God who's greater than that, and we're to testify of Jesus, because two things happen. One, some of those individuals just simply need to hear the truth, and God's going to save them and change their life, and He's going to do it through you. There will be people that will hear what you say, and they'll be like, I never heard of that before. You know, most of the rhetoric on even these big topics, people listen to the rhetoric. They don't really hear the truth behind it. And sometimes, somewhere along the way, you're even you share about Jesus that, and ask people, how, have you ever done wrong? How do you get forgiveness? How do you get clean in your soul? Have those kinds of conversations, because God is the only one that can do it. And when you bear witness of Jesus, tell them what about Jesus did for them, and tell them about what Jesus did for you. Some will be saved. Some will hate you even more, or like it even less. And even if they're there, God is glorified. He will always be glorified when the truth about Him is shared. So continue to reach out and invite when people like we invite to church, even if they say, why would I ever go to church? What a crazy place. Just again, put a smile on your face and say, you know what? God has changed me so much through that. And I thought that you might be interested in that. Just continue to have that heart. Fifth thing, endure. Jesus says in verse chapter 16, 1, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. He's not talking about losing your salvation. That word falling away means to stumble. I don't want you to trip up. I don't want you to fall down the stairs. I want you to continue to believe the things that you are and live the life that I've called you to. I don't want this to mess with you. I don't want you to wonder why in the world is all this happening to me and somehow doubt the love of God in your life. Don't, don't go through that dark season. Hold your head high. Recognize you'll go through some tough times, but stand firm in the middle of that because the day is coming in verse 2. They're going to put you out of the synagogue. See, these are religious people that are even against God. And indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. People will think that they're actually more of a true follower of God than those who really are the true followers of God. This darkness permeates every segment of the culture. And last thing that I have to say with this for you and I to deal with it is not... It's, it's, it's in the Scripture. Let, let me just read it. So it says this, And they will do these things, verse 3, because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. In other words, Jesus is saying, there's going to be a season that this is going to be worse for you. This is not every day. There will be a season. I think there's seasons in individuals' lives because of their world or their neighbors or their work circumstance where these persecutions flare up. And we feel the heat of it. But culturally, there's seasons. And the early Christians went through a season of deep persecution where they were crucified on the cross themselves just like Jesus. 
I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to realize we're in a season as a nation that we're going to experience more of this, whether it's mockery from afar or whether it's just the stuff right in front of us, persecution in our face. And what Jesus is trying to tell them is live your life. Live, live your life through that, until that and through that. Don't, you don't need to go out and do anything differently than you're doing. Live your life from me. Enjoy your life. Live your life from me. Don't be surprised when it comes. The Holy Spirit will help you. And some of you along the way are going to lose your life for it. Whether or not that happens here in the U.S., it's happening around the world today, ladies and gentlemen. There's so many countries where followers of Jesus are losing their life because of what they believe. And we've had it really good in America for a long, long time. And uh, to be honest with you, that's not what's normal. The normal is the persecution. So we ought to have the view that like, we're just kind of moving back toward normal because the world doesn't want God. They don't like feeling bad. So I don't know how God has spoken to you in the middle of this. It's not a typical sermon that we usually talk about here. But Jesus knew this was such a big deal as He's trying to carefully just pour into these guys as He's about to be crucified. These are things we need to realize as we live our, our life. Mom and Dad, I encourage you to have these conversations with your kids, not just about what they believe, but how they handle being different. You know, your kids... Mostly what I faced with being different is did I wear the right kind of sneaker that was in style? Did I comb my hair the right way that other kids did? Did I talk the same way? Could I fit in, you know, and play the sports or play whatever was cool to match with the other kids? You're, you will help your kids navigate those waters too. But you live in a day and an age where you've got to help them with much different issues, much bigger issues, not just with what they believe, but how do they handle believing and living differently in that world? And those are conversations that, that are important for you. Our, our youth group, I'm so grateful for them. They navigate and help kids wrestle with some of those things as well, and that's part of what we do. But mom and dad, that really is on you um, to, to, to teach your kids and help them. But for you to do that, you've also got to be there and to be comfortable with it and not hide, but live that out. So... Uh, whatever God has kind of spoken to your heart today, respond to Him. Let's be thankful that we serve a God who's bigger than all of this. Let's recognize the struggle that we all have. There's something in all of us that likes to be liked and be accepted. But let's draw some lines to where I'd rather be accepted by God than I would the world around me. And make some of those commitments. So maybe there's some things you need to be convicted of. Just ask God for forgiveness. And maybe even as I talked about the hard topic of abortion that we don't talk often about, and folks, we are as a church, we don't hide those realities of our past. Maybe that's a conversation you need to have with somebody of experiencing grace and the love of God even in the middle of that. And maybe you've got some past grief and pain that you need to work through that's been kind of bottled up and put aside. Maybe, maybe you became a follower of Jesus long after that and you haven't really even thought about how God forgives you and navigates all of that, I would encourage you to talk with someone. If you want one of our pastors to be available, there's other ladies here that would be glad to talk with you in that as well. God is so great. There's nothing that we can do 
that keeps him from loving us and forgiving us, that Jesus' grace covers all of the junk of our past, all of it. Pray with me, would you? Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his love, his forgiveness, his mercy. Lord, we live in some challenging days as your followers here that, that frankly, the previous generation here in the U.S. didn't quite live through. And Lord, that's okay. You are still God, and you're not caught by surprise with any of this. So we want to have joy in our heart and not gloom and doom in our soul and not worry and fear, but we do want to be wise, knowing that the days are evil. And so help us to hold forth your light, to live the, world, the life that you've called us to, to be salt and light in this world around us, recognizing that because of the things that we believe and the things because you're, whether it's that you're a God of life, a God who made us, but all of the ramifications, we just live differently. And the world notices it. And they're uncomfortable with it. Lord, help us to, to live that out faithfully as followers of you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.